Today is the much-awaited finale of my conversation with Dr. Stu, at least for this interview. More on that at the end. Today, Dr. Stu goes into so many interesting things. We talk about the beauty of our design, about how God designed us, and how much has to go right for us to do even simple things like touching your finger to your nose. We also wander into the controversial world of vaccines to look at some truth the world doesn't want you to think about. We talk about the food supply, illness, the precautionary principle, and we go into Dr. Stu's recommendations for what you need to do to have the best chance to have a natural birth without all the unnecessary interventions. So buckle up, this one is going to be fun. Are you a Christian woman yearning for a beautiful, joyful pregnancy and birth with a focus on God, not medical tests? Are you worried the birth you want isn't possible and you're tired of being treated like an accident waiting to happen? Hey mama, I'm Lori, host of Your Birth, God's Way. I'm a certified nurse midwife now, but I wasn't always. After working for nearly 20 years in the broken maternity system, I too was in your shoes wondering how I could have the birth I wanted and that I felt God meant for me to have. I found a secret that has actually been known since the beginning of time. God's way is the best way. Spoiler alert, God made us and our babies and he knows us best. He designed us perfectly for pregnancy, birth, and nourishing our babies after birth if we work with his design and not against it. In this podcast, you'll learn how to be healthy and have joy during this time of life that will be over before you know it. So if you're ready to reclaim your birth and your babies for His glory, go turn on a few episodes of Bluey for that little one on your hip so you can put the focus back on you for a few minutes with me. So if you wandered in just now, if this is the first episode that you've heard, please understand that this is part three. You really owe it to yourself to go back and listen to parts one and two before you listen to this one so that you're up to speed, so you're not coming in in the middle trying to figure out what you've missed, okay? So just hit pause or stop or whatever. Go back and listen to yesterday's episode and the day before, and then you can catch right back up here. For everybody else that's been around all week, first of all, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming back. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am enjoying it. To everybody who's new, who maybe just found me because of Dr. Stu, I'm so glad you're here and I hope you'll stick around. Hope you'll follow me on your podcast app and listen in the future. I usually post on Tuesdays, so be sure to be watching for that. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the last part of my interview with Dr. Stu Fishbein. And it's not just the women. It's, it hasn't been about the dads. It hasn't been about male patients. Um you know, in other diseases and other illnesses too. It's, it's, it's very enlightening when you go to the doctor and you, you go to a busy doctor's office and you think like you, you do or I do. I mean, I've had a lot of problems with my eye the last year and I've been at my eye doctor and, you know, I've probably been there 12, 10 times, 12 times, had four surgeries, three with this one doctor. And um, every time he walks in, he doesn't really remember who I am. Because and I and I give him the credit. I give him the credit because yesterday I saw him yesterday and he had to inject something in my eye, and I have a phobia and he was really good with that. But he normally doesn't. You know, he's just in and out. And he's got he's they've such a busy practice, and they're short at least one retinal specialist there. They just don't have enough, and they're killing themselves, and so it, it takes a toll on him. Because he can't give the kind of care that you said that we go that he went to medical school for. Because he's in boom, 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 boom. Right. And yeah, 
we, the, the, the system is completely broken. It is not fixable. Uh, I don't know where we'll go from there, but staying out of it and looking at health from a different perspective than trusting the medical system has your back is something that I think all your listeners should look into. Do your research. Doctor wants to prescribe something for you. Take a moment to say, well, what are the side effects? What are the risks? Do you have any literature on that? Where should I go? Go, go, go read about it. You might decide that there's an alternative therapy that you can use, whether it's homeopathic or naturopathic or, or something else that might have less side effects. I mean, I talk about certain medicines on the podcast sometimes, and you can get a list. All right, I'm going to do. A, I'm going to do a little reel later on um, on the postpartum depression pill that's coming out that just came out, and these are the adverse reactions listed on it. I mean, it's like listening to a commercial on a on a television show where they spend 40 seconds telling you about all the bloody diarrhea you can have. It's the same sort of thing here. Uh, CNS depression, confusion, suicidality, depressive exacerbation. This is a medicine for depression. Abuse, dependency, somnolence, dizziness, neuropharyngitis, diarrhea, fatigue, UTI, dry mouth, impaired memory, abdominal pain, sinus congestion, tremor, hypesthesia, muscle twitching, myalgia, anxiety, and rash. Yeah, I really want to take this medicine, don't you? And you said suicidality. Like, that's the ultimate worst side effect of depression anyway. <laughs> like, Right. Wow. Right. I mean, obviously they're rare, but it happens. So maybe it's not the best alternative for everybody, but it's easier to write a prescription for a pill than it is to sit there and take 20 minutes. To, there's a, there was a study, I think it was in New England Journal, it was probably 20 or 30 years ago, where they took, they took patients with colds and they, and they had them see one, two doctors. One doctor spent like three minutes with them and wrote them a prescription for an antibiotic. And the other doctor spent 20 minutes with them telling, explaining to them about the process of viruses and that antibiotics don't work and you just need some time and rest and take, you know, some vitamin C and vitamin D and other stuff. And then they surveyed the patients afterwards, asked them who the better doctor was. And the majority said the doctor that wrote them a prescription is the better doctor because they go to the doctor and they want to be fixed. But sometimes... These things don't need fixing. Your body is amazing. You made it to whatever age you're at, whoever's listening. Somehow you made it there. Your body made it through every single day. Your immune system is amazing. Your senses and your, your cranial nerves and your senses are amazing. I mean, smell. Think about, think about the intricacy of being able to just take your finger and touch your nose. I mean, how does that work? You have to have proprioception. You have to know where you are. You have to have balance. It's all going on. Your middle ear has to work. Your brain has to work. And it's all working in, in conjunction. It's a miracle. And to think that we need all these people on chronic medications for the rest of their life to deal with that is wrong because we're not, we're not healthier. Right. All these interventions and we're not healthier. And all these interventions in the, in the obstetrical world and our outcomes are, are not better. If anything, they're probably worse. Right. But they're certainly not commensurately better with the amount of interventions that were, that are taking place. And this should be proof enough that the way the, the system is working right now is, again, this sort of an oxymoron. It's the system isn't working. So the system, you can't say the system is working system isn't working because of the outcomes we have. And that again was the caveat that we said that every now and then they do miracles and we need them. And one of the dilemmas I've had this year, and I've realized this in the last couple of talks I've given, is that I am against what's going on in the hospital system. 
And I really would like to see it abolished. But the, re- the problem is, is that, you know, we need the hospital system to be there when we need them for, for pregnancy. Um, and so if we take all the normal births and we have them go to birth centers or homes, then they won't be able to afford to keep their labor and delivery units open. So it is a, it is a conundrum of, you know, how are we going to improve a place that doesn't want to let itself be improved? Um, but we need them. That's interesting to think about like how you could keep them in business if everyone did actually figure this all out and go home. But that's for people who understand economics a lot better than I do. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that anybody in, in, the, in who's an expert understands economics better than you do. That's I often think that the experts are the biggest problems in our country. Um, they, they are. I mean, you think about it. I mean, how often are they wrong? Yeah, exactly. Expert. And, and one last thing, the expert, uh, there are experts on an issue on both sides of the issue. Yeah. Or all four sides of the issue or all eight sides of the issue. Right. You know, people say that, you know, experts in the medical obstetrical field say this. Well, I'm an expert in the medical field, obstetrical field, and I don't say this. I say that. So how come you, you're, you know, it's again, it's cognitive dissonance. So you have to ignore people like me and Michelle O'Donnell and other people. You know, I, I feel a little guilty putting myself in the same sentence as Michelle. I mean, he's a, he's a legend, but, um, but yeah, they, they, they have to somehow dismiss what we do. And that's, you know, confident people, Lori, are not afraid to say they don't know something. It's the insecure person that has to be right all the time. Right. That is so true. Um, and, you know, I think about like, you know, experts say, and they'll say studies say, and they, you know, will leave out the ones they don't want. But then you have people like, you know, the farm on practice, which over 40 years has like a 4% C-section rate. Well, it's not that they have that much that, you know, special pelvises that the babies can just get out. It's that they support the body the way it's designed to work and they believe in it. And they, and because they, like, you know, you said back at the first, ACOG actually says that pregnancy is a high risk problem. So when that's how you view it, you're going to treat it differently. But when you, when you realize that we've been, you know, if, if, if pregnancy wasn't normal and birth wasn't normal, humans wouldn't be here anymore. Because all of this medical technology that we now think is the best way is new. The, 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 the way that our bodies are designed to work has been working for centuries or we wouldn't be here. And so when you respect that and you work with that instead of working against that, it tends to work the way it's supposed to. And, and their argument will be that they've cured a lot of diseases. And that's true. They've tr- cured a lot of diseases. But in the last 70 years, we've created diseases that never existed before. Most of them are autoimmune. It goes to your, and then what? Yeah, you, you cured this, but what was your downstream consequences? <laughs> right. It's kind of yeah. like, uh, you know, you, 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 you know, I, I often like it. I use the example of trying to put a stretch sheet on your bed. Okay. All right. You, you, you put it on one end and you go to the other side and you try to put it on the other end and it comes off the other end. Yeah. Okay. So there, there, there's always a give and take. And, the problem is, is yes, they've cured uh, infections. They've got antibiotics have been a godsend. Now maybe there's too many, there's too much use of them, and they're causing other problems. Um, but 100 years ago, there, w- there was no such thing as Crohn's disease. 
The, the, uh, the, I, just, I was just looking because I was curious that the 1950, the rate of diabetes was, was like one third of what it is now. So what happened? Right. Well, yeah, food's gotten worse. We've gotten pesticides and we've gotten uh, um, GMO foods. Right. And we've got 5G and we've got vaccination with heavy metals. Yes. And we've got all those things. And, you know, I've been reading books recently about heavy metals. And I think almost all pretty much chronic diseases are, I could be convinced by this author I'm reading that they're related to the increased amounts of aluminum, especially aluminum now, but it used to be arsenic and mercury. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of got rid of mercury, except in the, in some flu shots. Um, But now it's uh, aluminum, but yet they're spraying aluminum in the air. You talk about chemtrails and if you believe in that sort of thing and barium is in the air and, and uh, in your water. And so we are, you know, being exposed to heavy metals, which your body cannot get rid of. Mm-hmm. So your body, your body walls it off. It stores it in white blood cells or it stores it in granulomas inside your body. And, and the theory is that when you have an inflammation somewhere, your body tells the white cells to go fight the infection, but the white cells are carrying aluminum in them. So they're mm-hmm. bringing aluminum to the worst possible spot in your body they could bring it, which is where there's inflammation, which is why when you see some vaccine injury, uh, vaccines will cause some injuries. They'll generally make things that you might have had before worse. Like if you have a thyroid problem, you might get your thyroid might act up worse. It might get more inflamed because your thyroid's inflamed. Your body sends white cells to it. The white cells are carrying heavy metals and it can cause more damage there. Um, and old, did, old previous vaccines may have started a thyroid issue to start with. It, right. It, and it just, it compounds. It, it's a cumulative effect. Right. And the fact that they're not tested for safety, people, you know, they're, they're, they're propagandized. They're, they tell you that they're safe and effective, but we've all learned what safe and effective doesn't mean what they, what they say it means anymore. So, but all the vaccines on the childhood vaccine schedule, none of them ever been t- tested in a randomized placebo controlled trial, which is this gold standard for all medication. Right. Um, but even those studies are uh, when they do a randomized control trial, you have to really dig deep to to actually look at how you know some of them have like sixteen patients in it, right? You know, seven patients. When they started, um, I don't remember how long ago it's been, but all of a sudden they started saying that um, I think it was the flu shot was safe for pregnant women, and I thought, has anything changed? Is there some new study I missed? And I looked and like, there's nothing new. They just decided to start saying it, and it's never. Not only have they not been tested in non-pregnant people properly. They certainly haven't been tested in pregnant people because they can't because no IRB is going to let them. And so, um, but they just started magically telling you that it's safe. Yeah, they, it, it was like it was like two years ago. The panel, when they were approving the um, COVID vaccine, just approved because the, the flu vaccine had never been pro, uh, FDA approved for pregnancy, mm-hmm. but yet we've been, the doctors have been obese have been given it anyway which is a violation of everything that we right. ever learned about pregnant pregnancy, the same thing called the precautionary principle. Right. But for whatever reason, um, I mean, whatever reason is looks like, uh, you know, looks like $20 bills or hundred dollar bills or thousand dollar bills. That's the reason. Right. Um, they just decided to slip this through. There are no new studies on the flu vaccine. They haven't done them. 
And the flu vaccine, if you get it from a multi-dose vial, contains thimerosal, which is mercury. Individual individual vials of flu vaccine, one dose per vial, those don't have mercury, but they have all kinds of other right. stuff in them. It's not just mercury. Right. We're going to find out someday that you know a polysorb eighty and and uh, hydrogenated corn syrup and and in uh, egg yolk embryos and stuff, they're all going to turn out to be not good for you either, right? Yeah, I feel like that, you know, how we read books about the things that they did, you know, 50 or 100 years ago, and we think they're so barbaric. There's going to be books written about this period in history the same way. Oh, there's no question. Yeah, there's no question. When I when you see how they used to treat diseases with 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 mercury and arsenic um, and lead, I mean, these were the things that they used to treat. I mean, when I was a little kid, people remembered who were my age. When I got a cut or something like that, my mom put mercurochrome on. Yep. My grandmother had that. <laughs> It, it, so cool it definitely killed the, it, it definitely killed the bacteria yeah but it was putting mercury into my body yeah but who knew we i liked it because it was this pretty red color exactly thing. that's what i was saying because yeah. you could write you could write with it you could see it on there yeah oh listen when i was a little kid and we broke a thermometer i play with the mercury <laughs> oh it's the coolest by the way it's the coolest thing to play with i mean it is it is pretty cool it's dangerous it. but it's it. you know it's a metal that it's like it looks like the terminator movie where the yeah. metal comes all back together again it's it's pretty cool but it's incredibly toxic and when i was also a little kid when they would ri- drive down the street with the truck spraying ddt in our neighborhood we would ride our bikes behind it and spin around and ride our bikes through it we, we thought it was the greatest thing and our parents didn't know anything, and they, and they just trusted us to do, to do that. Right. You know, that that's a testament to how good the body is that we survive all that crap. Most of us do anyway. Yeah. Um. So, well, all right. So we got off topic a little bit. You know what? I was already thinking. I'm like, well, now we got our vaccine episode. We can talk about because I I think this stuff. I, I figured all this stuff again out. I'm I'm thankful. I had kids late. Um. In relatively late, I had my first when I was 32. But if I had my first when I was 22. I wouldn't have known so much of this and I've done things so different. And I learned about, I started to learn about the reality of vaccines right before I had my first. And, um, and it's just, you know, I was actually, I was talking to my kids about it um, yesterday or day before I said, the concept behind it is good. The reality of it is not like the, the, the theory behind why a vaccine might work actually is pretty good. You know, the small exposure to where your body can mount an immune response, that's all fine. It's the reality of all the extra things that are in there that in the way that it goes into your body, bypassing so many steps of the immune system that normally would have dealt with it. Your gut usually, right. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of layers, but all the extra stuff that they have to put in there for it to even work because they have to make this inflammatory response. But that has it. And then what, right. And then what, so what about all that stuff in your body over time, accumulating, attacking, causing, causing, um, these autoimmune responses, our bodies attack themselves. That doesn't even make sense. And I used to think it was just something that happened. And now I'm like, no, no, we're making this happen. Yeah. The, the autoimmune diseases, you know, a hundred years ago were, were almost unheard of. I mean, there were right. very, very few of them. So the other thing too, about vaccines, which they didn't, they either didn't know, or they completely ignored because they wanted to sell a product was the theory of original antigenic sin. Have you heard this? It sounds familiar. Okay. So the first time your body's ever exposed to a pathogen is the best chance your body has to make defenses against it. Okay. So when you give, for example, with the pertussis vaccine, which is a whooping cough, 
vaccine. Um, the the pertussis the the vaccine makes has just one small part of the pertussis uh, virus that your body is exposed to and it makes antigens against it. It's kind of like I, a better example might be the spike protein. So you're injected with the spike protein, your body makes antibodies against the spike protein. Um, then the next time you're exposed to this virus, your body will automatically trigger a response that only makes the antibodies against spike protein. So if the virus mutates a little bit, then your body can't defend it anymore. Right. Your body can't fight against it. Whereas if you get exposed naturally to these diseases, your body makes antibodies to more than just one aspect of that pathogen. Okay. So your body has much greater defenses. That's why you're seeing measles outbreaks in people that have had measles. And you're seeing whooping cough outbreaks in, in people that have had whooping cough. Vac- I mean, people that have had measles Sorry. vaccine yeah. and whooping cough vaccine. Um, those of us that had measles and mumps and those things when we were kids, the likelihood of us ever getting measles again is far less than someone who's vaccinated for measles. Because of this thing called, and your listeners can look it up. It's called original antigenic sin. And it's kind of funny because if you're religious, you know what original sin is. So this is, but this is a play on the words to look it up. Right. And, and find it out. Right. I appreciate all of the, the places that this conversation has gone because they all, again, reinforce so much that I, that, that we know my listeners know, but just hearing it from another perspective helps so much. So just to wrap it up, as an obstetrician with all of these years of experience, knowing what you know, for a mom who is listening right now and, um, you know, maybe is newly pregnant, maybe is in the middle of her pregnancy and she's just not feeling right about the way things are going. What, what do you recommend? How, how do you recommend that a mom would have the best chance to have a natural pre- uh, birth? well, pregnancy and birth to where they can feel like their, their body's been honored and not broken by, by the things done to them. How, what's the best, what, what's your recommendation, recommendation, yeah. the best route to make that happen? All right. Well, you can never know exactly what you're getting, but you should definitely hire a doula no matter where you plan to give birth because a doula has got a lot of uh, knowledge about these things that we were talking about today. They're not medical, but they know about the interventions. They know about how they interfere with the process that, and they're going to help you to best navigate whatever system you choose. I would tell people that don't have um, any real significant medical problem. And by that, I mean, significant medical problem um, to consider at least interviewing early in your pregnancy with a, with a local midwife, look at the difference between the models, test drive them. You know, you wouldn't go to a car. I mean, you, a lot of us do. We buy a car on site because we really like the way it looks. But most people are going to want to test drive a car. And maybe they'll test drive another car. And then they'll say, I like the way this car drives better. And so as an analogy, I think that's a really decent analogy is to go to your OB. And don't just pick your OB because that person has been doing your pap smear for 10 years. All right. You want to look at the, you want to look at the hospital they're working at. You want to look at, uh, again, how do they make you feel when you come in? Do they remember your name? Do they, do they look you in the eye? Do they uh, make you feel better when you're leaving the office than when you came in? Or do you feel eh, or you feel worse? That sort of thing. Same goes for midwives, too. I mean, you, you know, and see, and, and see the model. See how things go. Try, test drive it. Try it out. Find out which feels better for you. And if, and if the idea of having a home birth is just something that you a bridge too far, 
then consider having prenatal care along concomitantly along with your OB with a midwife. Pay a little extra out of pocket. Make it a life event. Don't just rely on your Medicaid or your insurance card, you know, or your TRICARE or whatever to to um to decide these things for you. I mean, that's an analogy that's gone all through our community about the difference between a wedding and the birth. Those are like the two most important events in a woman's life. And for a wedding, they'll spend a lot of money on it and they'll plan everything, even the color of the napkins and, <laughs> and the, what, what kind of cake they have and who's invited to the wedding and what my dress looks like and what the bridesmaids are going to wear. From every detail is planned in a wedding and you might spend 10 to, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars on a wedding. I mean, depending on where you live or, or who's your, you know, who your family members are. Who's got that? What the dad? The dad has that kind of money. But you spend a lot of money on it. You spend a lot of time planning it. And for our birth, we don't. I mean, your listeners probably do. And I know that my listeners probably do. And we're trying to in, in, encourage them to plan the birth like you'd plan your wedding. All right, not necessarily all of the aspects of it, but don't consider it just a medical procedure because you have a blue cross card and that you have to go to this hospital because they take your insurance and you have to pick your doctor out of this book because, well, they, they don't use books anymore. It's all online now, but, but you know, you have to pick your doctor because they're, they're on the list. Right? No, you don't. You could pay out of pocket for that. It's a life event. You might do it once, twice, five times, but the money that you spend on your birth to, to make this experience better is is something that a year or two later isn't going to mean anything. That money's it's gone. You spend it on something else, or have a have a baby shower where people give you money instead of things that you'll never use, like like that baby clothes that your baby will grow out of in like two months. Um, and you don't need a crib. I want to tell people people that yep. in our world, yep. you know, a crib, everybody has a crib in their in their baby room, and they won't sleep in it. <laughs> but they don't sleep in it. They, you know, most of, most people co-sleep, and even if they didn't co-sleep, them they 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 probably would have them, you know, in their in their room with them, so they can get over, lean over in the middle of the night and pick them up and you know latch them on the breast to go in the other room. So, you know, spend spend that money on hiring a doula or hiring a midwife and um, a changing table. Yeah, changing table is a good <laughs> idea, but but a crib is not necessarily a, a, a ne- it's not necessary. Um, babies don't care if they're sleeping in a shoebox. What's that? I used my crib as a changing table. Yeah. Okay. But that was an expensive changing table. And, and again, I mean, babies could sleep in a shoebox and they don't care. All right. They don't care where they're sleeping. It's just to make the room look nice. So, I mean, plan for your birth, the way you plan for your decorating your house or your wedding or anything else. Um, look, look and shop around. And then realize again, try to try to listen to podcasts and read authors like Ina May and other people. Uh, most of us who have websites have book lists on our website, so you can read read some books on childbirth and natural childbirth. Um, be careful about who you invite around your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Don't invite people that are naysayers, even if you're going to have a hospital birth. You know, the person that always is changing the, your story into their story is not necessarily somebody that you really want to have around your birth. Now, if it's your mother or your mother-in-law, you really don't have a lot of choice, but you can, you can not invite them to your birth. If you feel that they are causing you more stress because it gets back to how do you feel if your family are all you're laboring, say you're having a home birth and you're laboring upstairs and you know that there's six family members downstairs, it's going to interrupt your labor. You're, you're going to know they're down there all waiting, chomping at the bit. Right. 
another little cue is that has nothing to do with your question, but don't tell people your due date. Always tell people you're due two weeks or so after your due date so that, you know, they don't start bugging you the minute that your due date comes along because they'll all write it down and then they'll start text- texting you and they'll tell you, well, my doctor says it's dangerous to go, you know, one minute past 40 weeks. Right. And, the, you know, they tell you their stories. So insulate yourself. And again, try to think happy thoughts. Realize that birth is a normal function of the, your body. And, it, and just like digestion or breathing, which can occasionally go awry, most of the time you don't have to think about it. You know, if you get pneumonia, you need a doctor. If you get colitis, you need a doctor. But if but to have digest your food or to breathe, you don't need a doctor. Right. And it's the same thing with your pregnancy. You really don't. We've been indoctrinated to believe that we do. And three or four generations of American women have been indoctrinated to believe that they cannot give birth safely without the help of the medical community. And that benefits the medical community greatly. Um but it's not true. It's not. And, and uh, one of the things that I say a lot that you said, not even knowing I say it, is like question number one when you're interviewing a provider is how do you feel when you leave? Or and, and not question, but if they make you feel worse or they didn't even listen to you even in the interview or even on a regular visit, if you walk out feeling worse and you walked in, you got to listen to that intuition and that gut because it's not going to get better. And when you walk out of your birth feeling worse, you're going to wish you had listened to your gut in the beginning. And, and it's just interesting how that, you know, that was the first thing you, you said was, how do you feel? How do they make you feel? Did they listen to you? Did they not? Yeah, no, it's a very important thing of how you feel um, when you, when you walk out of the doctor's office and, and, you know, you don't have to settle. Right. It's your birth. You're the consumer. Um, yeah, so those are things that you can do and just, and just remember that, that this is to to have reverence for the, for nature's design. It really is an amazing thing from the moment the sperm hits the egg, um, that the fact that one cell, these two half cells become one cell. And from that one cell, as it divides, it becomes eyelashes and pancreas, Mm -hmm toenails and brain and all of it ends up in the right place which is amazing because all comes from one cell and you didn't do anything to make it happen and neither did your doctor it just no you can screw it up orchestrates it to where i mean things if if we tried to do it we'd screw it up (laughs) well if you yeah the only thing you can do by messing with nature is screw it up now does nature get it right all the time of course not there are anomalies there are fetal demises there are miscarriages there's there's things that happen um, but most of the time it doesn't happen, right. but the medical model looks at every single pregnant woman as an accident waiting to happen. And the midwifery model looks at every pregnant woman as normal until it's not. Right. That really sums it up right there. That, that it does. Sense. It's, it's that simple. And, and that's the thing that I didn't learn until I came out and got, exp- and I was lucky again, for the wrong reason, I was exposed to midwifery. Um, not the wrong reason for me. It was mercenary for me, so I can make money. Mm-hmm. But it was a, it was fortuitous. Um, but it's also one of those things where knowledge is scary. Knowing something that that you can't do anything about is really scary. I'm dating myself now, but there's a my, one of my favorite scenes in a movie is is a movie called Broadcast News. It's a really a movie from the '80s, I think, or maybe the '90s, and it's with Holly Hunter and William Hurt and Albert Brooks and. There's a scene where Holly Hunter is this 
amazingly good television producer who's completely dysfunctional in her social life and her whole life. So her whole life is being this really good TV producer. And so she's really um, uh, type A on the job and getting things done. And there's a, a morning where they're all at coffee and there's a crisis in the world someplace and they need to find someone to replace the anchor who's played by Jack Nicholson. Um, and so she's having an argument with the head of the network. And then head of the network wants to use William Hurt and she wants Albert Brooks to do it and, she, and go back and forth for a little bit. And she's not giving up any ground. And he looks at her and he finally says, you know, it must be great to know you're right all the time. And she looks at him and she goes, no, it's awful. And I look at the situation right now and the th stories that you hear and the stories that I hear. And it's awful sometimes knowing that these women didn't need to have this happen to them and being almost powerless to change it. We are doing what we... It's nauseating. It's like a punch in the gut every time you hear it. Yeah, when you were a nurse in labor and delivery, I mean, my friend Lindsay Milas, who you may even have had on your show, I don't know, but she um, she said that when she was working as an RN in labor and delivery, she felt like she was witnessing a crime every day, and she couldn't, and she couldn't, her soul couldn't take it anymore. And that that so so the people that are still working in that scenario, they have to wall themselves off from that. They have to compartmentalize it because you can't sit there all day and watch these kind of things happen. And, and yes, yeah, sometimes there's miracles and sometimes you actually save a life. You do. Sometimes the hospital did save my baby's life. All right. But most of the time when people say that, they've been sort of gaslit to believe that if they had done this at home, then the baby would have died. But the truth is it's not, this likely wouldn't have happened at home. It only happened because of the way you were managed in the hospital. So I know we were trying to wrap this up and say goodbye. Now we've gone off on another tangent, but you know, it's been great. We didn't even get to talk about twins and breaches. So if you want to have me back on sometime, yeah, we're gonna we have can, to do that. We can do tw twins and breaches. I would love that. I would love that. And I just appreciate your time so much. And and I know that um uh, especially back to back with the interview with Anna, the the empowerment that this knowledge gives so many women that are listening. That's one of the beauties of this this whole podcast thing that you can reach people and they can listen to it when they're doing other things, but these ideas are getting in there and it, and we're, we're changing people's courses to where they are going to have the birth story that they should have had all along that so many moms have been robbed of because they just did what they thought was best, not knowing any better. And so I just appreciate so much all that you're doing and your time and for coming on here. And I, I'm, I'm going to cut it into a bunch of different pieces because I can't cut anything out. It's just, it's so much good, empowering, um, reaffirming information. And I just, I just thank you so much. Well, you're welcome, Lori. It's just fun for me to always speak to an audience that I might not normally reach. So, um, cause I like to get this information out there. If nothing else, it's just provoke thought, inspire people to look deeper into it and don't just accept things as they are. Right. I agree. Well, thank okay. you so much. All right, bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed these episodes as much as I enjoy getting the honor to do them. If you are new to my show, first of all, welcome. I know many of you have found me as a result of this interview, so I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll stick around. I would like to just really quickly apologize for the bad audio on my part. Dr. Stu's audio was great. I was using a good microphone, but I guess I was too far from it or something, and there was a whole lot of echo. My show is not usually like that. I appreciate your patience with that. 
I usually publish my new episodes on Tuesdays. So if you haven't already, I would love for you to follow me on your favorite podcast app and be watching for my new episodes each week. My whole goal with my podcast is to help moms to grow closer to God through their pregnancies rather than feeling this divide where they feel like they're pulled from relying on the knowledge and the intuition that God gives them. They feel like they just, they're getting pulled away from it. They, they feel like they are being forced into a system that doesn't acknowledge God. And so my goal is to help moms see that you don't have to go that route. God can very much be a part of this. And in fact, he is the designer of this. And when we acknowledge him, it tends to work out better. When we work with his design, it tends to work well. So that's my goal here. If that sounds like something that resonates with you, I hope you'll stick around. Maybe share me with some friends. But either way, I just want you to know I appreciate you. I thank you for hanging around with me this week. And I hope to see you right back here next Tuesday. Real quick, if today's episode blessed you in any way, would you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a quick five-star written review? It'll take you less than a minute, but it's the best thank you you can give me. And it will help my show to reach more mamas just like you so we can all find God's best for our families. I'll see you right back here in a few days.